So we come to this time of prayer. There are so many needs around us and so many that we know and love that are going through lots of different issues. There are many who are struggling with medical issues right now and because of social distancing are having to do that alone or having to do it in different ways. There are many around us struggling financially. We just need to take this time to lift them up in prayer, to remember them, to help them and support them. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful for you. We are so glad to be able to worship together in this way, even though we are all in different places in our homes, um, some alone, some with family. Uh, God, we just are excited to worship and praise you in whatever way we can. We thank you for the abilities that we have to connect online and through social media, uh, through cards and phone calls and all of that. And God, we are just grateful for how you are continuing uh, to to just love us and to work through us to, to learn how to love each other better. God, there are many around us who need you today. There are so many struggling uh, with health issues, with medical needs, and God, we just lift them up to you. We pray for them. We pray for their families as they struggle through this time right now. We pray for all of those in the medical uh, world that are just dealing with things that are much harder because of all these restrictions on how they can interact with patients and what they can and can't do. God, we just pray for your strength and wisdom for them. We pray for our leaders in our communities and in our states and nationally. Uh, God, we just ask that you continue to give them wisdom, that they're able to make decisions that are best for everyone. And God, we know there are so many with many different opinions right now. God, we just pray for patience for all of us as we navigate through these difficult times that none of us have had to face before. God, we pray for your church, that we are able to continue to be your hands and feet, that all of those who are followers of Jesus are able to come together uh, to, to serve those who need you, to love others, to love each other. And God, as we um, look to the coming weeks and months and aren't sure what's going to happen and how we're going to be able to continue um, doing things as the church, God, we know that in all of it, no matter what we do, you love us, you work through us, your kingdom is growing. People are coming to know you. You are still reaching out. Your spirit is still connecting with people. And God, we are just excited to be a part of that. God, just open our hearts, open our minds to where you are leading. Let us continue to serve you, to love you, to worship and praise you. And God, we just lift up your holy name. Amen. And oh, I love Jesus.
Pastor Steve, and today we're going to take a look into the Word and discover what it really means to uh, experience the love of God. I hope in the next few weeks to talk about these inner virtues in the Christian's life and what it is we need to experience as we follow Him inwardly. Uh, often we talk about the outward things, the things we should or shouldn't do, but those things really are just the results of the inner life. Uh, Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what proceeds forth from his heart. It's the inner life that grows the Christian. So we must look inwardly. And today we want to talk about love. A little disclaimer, I, I'm not an expert on the subject of love. I am a learner. I'm growing in it. The way I grew up, I didn't really understand what love was at all. So most of my ministry I've spent my life trying to understand what it means to love, but not just love in the human sense, but to have the kind of love that comes only from God. For the scripture says, God is love. And Jesus said that love was the greatest commandment. And we have the great commandment regarding love, and we also have the great commission, but we cannot really do the great commission well if we haven't done the great commandment first. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 22, beginning down at verse 34, and hear what Jesus has to say about the importance and the imperative of love. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments 
depend on the whole law and the prophets. Father, open your word to our understanding this day. Grow us in this truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Jesus says that upon these two commandments hang all of the law and all of the prophets. Love is what it's all about. Love was something that became part of the revelation of God. The first mention of the word love really in the Old Testament relating to God really comes from a quotation of this passage in Deuteronomy. So it's important for us to understand the imperative of the word love. Now, love in relationship to God, when it's talking about to love God, it's using a precise Greek word that most Christians know called agape. Agape is uh, an important word, and we need to understand it as it stands uh, separate from the other kinds of loves. Many years ago, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves. And in the Greek language, there are four different words you can use to describe love. Some of them have to do with friendship. Some of them have to do with affection. Uh, one word has to do with physical attraction to somebody. But those are the lower, baser loves. And the highest form of love in the Greek language was the agape love. But agape love isn't born in the seat of emotion. Rather, it's far deeper than that. It's born in the seat of the will. Jesus said, greater love hath no one than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friend. Does it feel good to lay down your life for someone? I don't think so. Uh, love is something far deeper than just in a feeling or emotion. When I was a young pastor, I had a young girl come up to me and say to me, Pastor, I think I know what love is. And I was so excited, I couldn't wait to hear what she had to say. She said, Pastor, I think love is a feeling that you feel when you feel like you're going to get a feeling that you never felt before. Well, that wasn't my idea of what love is or really what love is all about. For love involves commitment. It involves sacrifice. It is seeing something so worthwhile and so valuable that you set aside your own personal comfort in order to pursue it. The kind of love that Jesus expects us to have is a kind of love that is different than what the world has. In another place in Scripture, Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what reward is that? Does not even the, the uh, world do that? But we are to love our enemies. Well, how can that feel good to love an enemy? It's not easy to love an enemy. How do we do that? We do that because we make a choice deep within our heart and our soul to love someone. To love somebody that doesn't make you feel good means not that you will have warm feelings for them or you will feel that warm, fuzzy feeling. It means that you will do right by someone in spite of how they may make you feel that you will treat people right, that you will bless people. Jesus told us to bless our enemies, bless them that curse us and despitefully use us. How do we do that? We can't work up a feeling to do that, but we can make a choice. And divine sacrificial love is a choice that you make. 
It's why the marriage vows are written the way they are. They're not written based on feeling. You don't say to someone, I'm going to take you for as long as I feel like it. You say to that person, I will take you for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, forsaking all others till death do us part. And you don't say how good and you don't say how bad. You don't say how healthy. You don't say how sick, how rich, how poor. And to all of that you say, not I feel like it, but I will or I do. That is a choice. And that decision on your marriage day is what converts your lesser loves into divine sacrificial love. It's the only way you can make a vow and keep it because you've made it as a choice. You made a decision. And so when Jesus tells us to love God with all of our mind, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, he's telling us to make that choice, to choose God, to choose that you're going to love him, to choose that you're going to follow him, to make the choice to receive Christ into your life. Love is a choice. It's choosing to follow. And God, and Jesus goes on to say that we are to make that choice, not just half-heartedly, but with all of our mind, completely. Not a half-hearted decision, but one that involves all of your soul. And another passage of scripture, it even adds, and all of our strength. To make that choice means I'm all in. I choose to be all in with Christ. I choose to follow him completely. And I will do right by him. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you won't fail. You certainly will. Many times the followers of Jesus, those disciples that began to follow him in the early days, all believed and wanted to follow him completely. But when push came to shove, sometimes they failed. And that's true for us even today. But here's the interesting thing. Not only are we commanded to love God, we are told that God is love and that God loves us with that divine sacrificial commitment, the same way he is asking us to love him, even with a greater one. For the scripture says, if we are faithless, he is faithful still. God's love for us is so great and so grand that he has given us a love that is considered to be inexorable. Now that sounds like a fancy word, but inexorable love really means that God's love for us is unbreakable. In other words, he never stops loving us, even if we don't love him back. He never stops loving us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's amazing commitment to a world who doesn't just naturally love God who haven't made the choice to choose God, to love him with a decision. So to have the great love that we should have for God, we have to choose it because God has chosen us. He has chosen to love us completely with an unbreakable love. I think that that's pretty amazing. And I think that there are times when we all fail and we wonder, does God still love us? 
Well, he does. He really does. I remember listening to Larry Crabb some years ago, who was a well-known Christian psychologist and uh, written many, many books. And you may have read some of his books, but he talked about uh, one of his sons who happened to be with him that day. And his son had just rebelled against everything his dad ever taught him. In fact, uh, he ran away from home while he was still a teenager, got into doing all kinds of things. And sometimes he would call up his dad just to tell him the awful things he was doing. And Larry Krebs said that I could throw the theological and the psychological fastballs across the plate and he couldn't hit them. I could out-talk him on every issue, but it made no difference. He still wasn't coming home. But Larry said one day God spoke to him and said, Larry, what are you trying to do with your son? He says, what do you mean? He says, well, I love you unconditionally and you're not perfect. Why don't you love your son unconditionally? And uh, so the next time his son called to pray about it, his son started in telling him all the things he was doing. And he said to him, son, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not perfect either, but you can never break the love that I have for you. His son, who picked up the story and told his part in the room that day, said, that is what broke me, that I couldn't break my father's love for me, no matter what I had done. And I knew then that I had to come home. And he came home, and it wasn't long before he was working with his father instead of against him. That's unbreakable love. That's what I'm talking about, inexorable love. But that love doesn't come from a feeling. It comes from a choice. It comes from choosing something that you see that is precious and valuable, and you want to give it your best, even if it isn't giving you something in return. Jesus would say the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price that when a man sees it, he goes and sells everything he has in order to purchase it. That is an amazing thing. Who would do that? Except when someone sees something that is far more valuable to them than anything else in this world. And to know the love of God is a call to leave other things behind and to take the hand of Jesus and to begin to follow him on the dusty road of discipleship. That's what love is about. It's a call to love following Jesus. The great commandment is to love and to give it your all, to make that choice. But we're also called to love our neighbors. Sometimes neighbors aren't easy to love. I can remember when I pastored in one state that we had a bunch of youth who would go around in the fall and rake the leaves of all of the people in a particular neighborhood for them and take care of them that way. And one lady uh, had a neighbor who she said, you better not go over there. He's not easy to get along with. And uh, so the youth just in their youthful enthusiasm went over and started raking his leaves. Oh, he came out and was furious when he saw it, and he made him put all of the leaves back. Can you imagine such a thing? 
Sometimes it's not easy to love people who don't love you back. But Jesus says, love them anyways. Love them anyhow. Perhaps the reason that this man was so hard to get along with is he didn't love others. And maybe he didn't love himself. For the third thing that is in this great commandment is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But how can we do that and do it unselfishly? Back many, many centuries ago lived a man named Bernard. He was known as Saint Bernard and he's actually the person that they've named the dog after. But he wrote probably one of the greatest books on Christian love ever written. It was simply entitled, The Love of God. In that, he outlines for us the four steps of growing in God's love. And the first step, he says, is that we start out loving ourselves for ourselves' sake. We don't love others. When you're born as a baby, you don't care if your parents sleep through the night. You don't worry about what other people want. If you want your bottle, you want your bottle. As you grow, you want certain toys, you want what you want. Pretty soon, it isn't long as you mature into your teenage years and grow into adulthood, that sometimes that selfishness stays rooted within you to where your love is just focused on what you want and what your needs are. And we usually go along pretty well, Bernard tells us, until we reach a second stage. And the second stage is when we fall into a crisis and all of a sudden we are in dire straits and we need help and we need someone to save us. And so we started out loving ourselves for ourselves' sake, but in the second stage, Bernard says, we grow to love God for ourselves' sake. We love God for what he can do for us. We say, God, save me, deliver me, help me. And God graciously and lovingly does because he works with us right where, right where we're at, not where we hope to be, but he deals with us where we really are. I often say to people, and sometimes they misunderstand it, that you're right where you're supposed to be. And they say, how can that be? I'm nowhere near where I should be. I say to them, because God isn't going to look for you where you wish you were, he's going to look for you where you are. An old hymn we often sing is, just as I am, without one plea, not just as I hope to be, but just as I am. So God looks for you right where you are. And though you may just love him for what he can do for you, he still loves you because he knows you're going to grow and that there's more. Our early prayers when we first give our life to Jesus Christ are those kind of selfish prayers. Lord, help me, help me to grow, make me a better person, help me to do this and that. And sometimes we pray for things that we think we need. Give me a better job, give me more money, help me to do this, help me to do that. We're simply focused on what we need. But that's part of Christian growth, that's part of the condition of, of being a human being. But God calls us deeper. The first stage, again, was we started out loving ourselves for ourselves' sake. Then we reach conversion and get saved, and we start loving God for ourselves' sake. 
But there's a third step to grow to. And this is where I think sanctification often begins. And that is that we grow to love God for God's sake. God would never answer another one of my prayers. It does not make any difference to me. I will never stop loving him because I no longer love him for what he can do for me. I love him just for who he is. When you grow in following Jesus, you begin to learn and understand that he is so much more that what your heart is yearning for is him. And that we have him, we have what is joy, we have what is peace. We used to have a hymn in our hymnal that uh, we would often sing called uh, Joy Unspeakable and Full of Glory, Full of Glory. There is a glory in experiencing God when you see him and you behold him and you look into his eyes and you know you have nothing to dread or fear. For his love for you is complete and your love for him is the same. But there is more. The fourth step, and remember, we started out loving ourselves for ourselves' sakes. We grew to love God for ourselves' sake. Then sanctification began when we love God for God's sake. But the fourth step that we grow to is that we grow to love ourselves for God's sake. Hmm. It's the only way to love yourself unselfishly is to love yourself for God's sake. What does this mean? These are my words and the way I put it. And I don't want to tell you that I'm there yet because there's still much about myself that I work with and struggle with. But this one truth we need to know. And that is that after we've grown to love God for God's sake and we've stared into his eyes and we've spent time with him and we pray and seek his face and feel the warmth of his presence and the tenderness of his love, soon we grow to love everything that God loves, even if that means loving ourselves. Because sometimes loving yourself is the hardest thing of all to do. But God wants you to love what he loves. And if you don't love yourself and he loves you, you're saying to God that what you've made isn't any good, that it has no value. And God says, it's you that I have died for. It is you that I sent my son into this world for. I'm calling you to just come to me. How do we get to that point? Some of it is by focusing our attention on God and not so much on ourselves. Sometimes we fail to leave ourselves alone. We overthink, we overscrutinize our life. What we are being called to is not an obsession with ourselves, but with falling in love with God. And this brings us full circle. For if we would grow to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, if we would make that choice and that decision, then we would find it's easy to love others, our neighbors, even people who don't like us. 
And then maybe we would also grow deeper in that sanctification, which just means really this level of deep commitment. Maybe we would just grow to the point where we could love ourselves the same and just accept ourselves the way I always say it, warts and all, with our good and our bad. For what divine love is, is just unconditional acceptance. To say to God, I will accept you on your terms, God, just as you are unconditionally, and I will accept other people unconditionally, and I can accept myself unconditionally. That's really important to understand for us to grow and to know the love of God, for he loves you fiercely and wants to be with you in all that you do so that you might know you have nothing to dread or fear, for he is with you. He is here, and God is love. Right now, just bow your heads wherever you are. And if you don't feel the love of God right now, it's okay. It's not about feelings. But if you dare to take the challenge up that Jesus has given us today to embrace the great commandment, simply right now say, God, I choose you, Jesus, I choose you. I choose to follow you. I choose to love you. I choose to accept you into my life. Forgive me. Give me grace and give me mercy. And let me follow you always. Let me pray with you right now. Lord Jesus, I pray that we might ever feel your warmth and your tenderness and your love in our life that we might grow to know you with a great love, that we would begin with the great commandment to love before we try to do any other commandment. Oh God, may we choose you. May we choose others. May we even choose ourselves. And may we grow in the knowledge of that love. And may you, O oh Christ, ever be at our side and when we stumble and fall, pick us up, draw us deeper and closer into your grace and into your love. And we will give you thanks and praise. In your name we ask it. Amen. And now may the peace, the grace, and the love of Jesus Christ abide with you. And may you ever feel him.
in prayer with me this morning. Dear God, we just thank you for this day, for this week, Lord, for all the things that um, you're doing in our lives and, and working through us right now, Lord. We just thank you that we can come together this morning to listen to Pastor Steve and the message that he had for us, God. And we just um, pray that you would be with us throughout the week, Lord, with um, all the things going on, Lord. Help us to not become discouraged, Lord, but to always look to you for um, inspirement and Lord, just to um, help us through. God, we just thank you so much for all that you do. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning and we hope you have a blessed week.